0: online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, our cohort of Christ-Confessing Concordians read, read through the Book of Concord our Lutheran Confession of Faith. And on our cohort here today, we have Dr. Kevin Armbrus, who is the Director of Editorial for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We also have Pastor Peter Ill, who is the Pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois, and myself as your host, Pastor Sean Smith. I am the Pastor of Emmanuel and St. Paul's Lutheran Churches in Southern Illinois. It is great to be back with you after the wonderful Christmas, Holy Season holiday, break where we had the 12 days of christmas here on kfuo but we're back to talk about how concord matters being of one mind of christ and all of that stuff that we just covered
1: blessed belated epiphany
0: yeah absolutely it's great to be here yeah all right so today we're jumping into a new article uh we uh began um last year the the epitome of the formula of concord and we made it all the way through one article impressive yeah well we had historical background and things you can go back into the archives and check these things out it was a whole like last year ago but now we are jumping into article two of the free will which is closely related to the article um the first article that we covered on original sin and i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and throw it to uh, uh pastor ill here that talk about just very briefly setting this up how, how are these two articles related
1: so when we talked about original sin we talked about it in such a way as uh, this is completely and totally uh, who we are Uh, not because god made us as sinners god made us and we inherited sin from adam and eve from our human parents and we do have indeed a sinful nature the next question then becomes what can change that and if we are sinners, and if we have this sin inherent in us, and it is part of our, uh, we have a sinful nature that is not part of simply being human, how do we get out of that? We get out of that because uh, God does it. And the whole conversation about free will is, if you're an original sinner, you can't dig yourself out of that hole. You can't even stop digging. Therefore, it's God's work to save you.
0: If you're an original sinner... Yeah. That, that's, that's language that I don't know that I've ever heard used before. <laughs> I use, Intriguing idea. I use
1: all kinds of wonderful new words.
0: I mean, you Hopefully, are an original they, sinner.
1: I, I struggle to to make sure that they're always in accordance with Scripture oh. uh, because but that's important.
0: We, we have a sinful nature. Yeah. Uh, but like, think, I think you verbed it. I did. Original sinner. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Dr. Uh, Kevin, anything to add to this? Well, the...
2: The, the question then, moving from Article 1 to Article 2, is how pervasive is the effect of original sin on our nature? Um, is there anything left of us that is good enough to merit God's favor? Um, is there anything I can do to work this out to where, even though I'm sinful, if I do enough or do anything at all, can I help God like me better or love me or accept me or forgive me? And that's really the question then as we move to the next article is, what role can my will alone play in my relationship with God? Whether that be salvation or damnation, what, what, what role does my will, without any help outside of it, play in that equation?
0: All right. Great setup. Let's go ahead and dig into the articles because we got a lot of ground to cover here today. It's great to be back in the swing of things. We are picking up with the epitome of the formula of Concord, article two of the free will. And this is coming from the Concordia Readers Edition of the Book of Concord available to you from Concordia Publishing House, a publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. This is the status of the controversy. The chief questions in this controversy. I'm reading with paragraph one now. The will of mankind is found in four different states one, before the fall, two, since the fall, three, after regeneration, and four, after the resurrection of the body. The chief question in this article is only about the will and ability of mankind in the second state that is, what powers and spiritual matters does a person have after the fall? of our first parents and before regeneration? Can a person by his own powers, prior to and before his regeneration by God's spirit, get ready and prepare himself for God's grace? Can a person accept and apprehend or reject the grace offered through the Holy Spirit in the word and holy divinely instituted sacraments? All right, there was a lot of, kind of parenthetical remarks and bracketed and and things like that uh, as I read that, which is difficult to convey in an audio show like this. Um, But uh, uh, one of the things that I want to highlight here actually came from the last show that we had last year. and uh, I, I believe it was uh, Pastor Nate Hill in Texas who made this point that when we talk about the Lutheran confessions, especially with the formula of Concord, one of the things that we want to do is make uh, some necessary distinctions. Now, of course, when we talk about CFW Walther, the most necessary distinction is always that of the law and the gospel, right? But also we are making a distinction here, uh, how we're talking about uh, after the fall. That was highlighted there a few times, right? So so go ahead, Pastor Hill, and talk about what is... What is the what is the role of the will after the fall making that necessary distinction?
1: First, I want to actually talk about the importance of the distinction, Okay. because uh, sometimes when we start to ask questions, when we approach Scripture and we say, but what about? Uh, It's really important for us to make sure we know what we're asking, because if we don't know what we're asking, we come up with all kinds of tangents and side questions and and interplays that that might not always be be helpful because they're not always on point. And so the confessors start here with this really good idea of saying, all right, the question on the work of the will and the role of the will, th- the will works in in four different uh, ways, four different periods of time. Uh But we only want to talk about this one, we only want to talk about what happens um, in the will of sinners who aren't yet converted to faith or who are as of yet unregenerate, um, not yet made new. And so there it's, it's basically saying for all of you original sinners out there, for all of you original sinners, especially who haven't yet come to faith. How does your will work? This continues that idea of bridging the original sin ideas from uh, from last year to now. And so we get to uh, play into that and say that this this entire question hinges on somebody's uh, the role of the will and somebody's uh, ability and desire to believe in Jesus. Uh, And if they even have one, that is the question uh, before that person is regenerate.
0: And because the the reason that they highlight this out isn't just because um, you know, that's, that's the one they're prepared to talk about or anything like that. Uh, we we've highlighted that there is a historical context in which these come in. And, and so the, the laying out of this, the status of the controversy is look, there's a controversy going on in the church about this particular area of it. And so we're not going to cover entire doctrinal treatise on this, uh, of, of the will in its entirety. You know, that's, that's very much covered and lots of writings but we we do need to address this because it has created controversy within the church dr kevin
2: as a matter of fact this this and questions of christology are kind of always the main issues in the church when we talk about difference of doctrine or different um teachings on on scriptures it it's usually about the person and nature of christ which ov- obviously impacts our view of the sacraments and then, also, on the question of how we are saved. And when we talk about how we are saved, the main question of that is who's doing what in salvation? And we always confess, um, as scriptures teach us to confess, that God alone is acting to save us.
0: so so this is what I always like about uh, this cohort, right? is that we we always begin our conversations with Jesus, right right? so so, to throw this back to you then, so this is a matter of Christology. Yes. You're making that that point, right? Which I agree with. All right. So we're in Concord there. That's good. good. All <laughs> right. So uh, so how then is this a matter of Christology as it pertains to after the fall? So the question
2: is, is, was Jesus, as the one who is the incarnate son of God, is he and his work sufficient to save us? or do we as humans need to add something to his work in order to be saved and this really and if you as we know in the history of the church when it plays out the the effect of that question the answer to that question really does lead to some major problems in the way people confess christ and his work when they start with the wrong foundation of how much humans contribute to salvation which really again i want to restate it is a question of whether or not christ's work is entirely sufficient or not and that that is why this is a christological issue is because if we say that that human free will plays a role in salvation then that does impinge upon the way that we talk about christ and his accomplishment of salvation
0: so so i think a, a good way to talk about this then And it's throughout the Book of Concord, I agree, there. Sometimes a little more explicitly, other times a little less so. Um, But essentially the question, the base question at each of these articles is, who is Jesus and what is he doing? Right. Is that a fair? Yeah, exactly.
1: And in case you've, you've adventured into about 12 minutes of this program with us, and you've started to think, you know, I like those Concord Matters guys, but it's kind of dry, dusty 16th century theology. Uh, This thesis, the entire formula of Concord, is a very live issue among us. This is still something that we talk about regularly uh, as we confess the faith within our local congregations, as we teach people who, who are joining our congregations the faith as we continue to go back through and continue confessing the faith with people who've been in our congregations for a long time with people in different christian confessions of faith with people outside the christian confession of faith this is a live question in the year 2020 right now that we need to continue to talk about and continue to articulate and so this isn't just a dry old debate that happened 400 or 1500 Sorry, 500 or 1,500 years ago. This is a conversation that happens even today.
0: Maybe even to put a little more of a point on that, would you say it's fair to say this is, you know, because we always want to know, you know, we're just kind of influenced by the business mentality, I'll call it, right, of how do we make sustainable churches? How do we get people in? How do we keep them active and so forth? And and I think it comes back to that base question again, right? When we look at, we'll, we'll use terms like evangelism, you know, how do we get people into the church and so forth? I think the free will issue clearly relates to that, right? You know, how can we get these people to believe? But ultimately, it boils down to that simple question again is who is Jesus and what is he doing? Right. Right is is he active in this and and we're going to have have to wrestle with you know how how this issue of free will which may be a bit technical terminology now not to belittle our listeners i mean i think you guys are probably a fairly selective audience and 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 know those terms and so forth and would and would willingly talk in those terms our general listeners and so forth but we need to be mindful that perhaps people that we want to have these kinds of conversations with you know may not even think of it in terms of a matter of free will or things like that so we're going to have to wrestle with that as we go through as well too like how do we how do we talk about What's going on here? Uh, that's clearly impacting the conversations we're having in the church, um, and maybe with less technical terminology. Although explaining the technical terminology, because why work harder to invent new terminology, right? Dr. Kevin, were you going to say something? Well, about- I
2: just I want to make sure we return to the original question of why, in these four different states, are we only gonna talk about the second one? And and again, it's because it is a question of salvation. Um, to be totally blunt the first one before the fall the scriptures don't tell us so we're not going to talk about that one right the third one and the fourth one are kind of the same issue and that's that's for the church as we as we hear from scripture what the renewed will or the reborn will or however you want to talk about that what how does that work but the real question for salvation is what is the role of the human will is it free to make decisions or to do good or to choose God or something like that in the matter of salvation. So that's why we're really concentrating on this second of the four states of the of the will in the history of mankind. So we have the Adam and Eve will question, which we're not going to address. We have the now that you're baptized and in Christ, what's your will? We're not addressing that either. And then we have the after Christ returns and we are resurrected with him. What's our will going to be like? We're not going to address that either. All we're going to talk about is those who are conceived and born in sin, what role their will play in their salvation.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and dig in then to the affirmative statements, confessing what it is that we believe about this. So uh, this is picking up with paragraph two, and this will be affirmative statement number one. And uh, the heading in the uh, Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord that we're using is this: "A pure teaching about this article according to God's word." I like that heading. That's a that's a good heading. All right. Uh, point or affirmative statement uh, one, paragraph two. This is our teaching, faith and confession on this subject. In spiritual matters, the understanding and reason of mankind are completely blind and by their own powers understand nothing. As it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned." All right, break that down for us, Dr. Kevin. So.
2: This kind of gets to the whole linking to the previous article is is that our nature has been entirely corrupted by original sin. So what can that nature accomplish in the realm of spiritual things? We're not asking whether or not I can decide to mow my lawn or not. That's not the question. We're not asking whether or not I can choose what color I like or what food I like. That's not the question. This is addressing what role does my will play in spiritual matters, understanding the effects of original sin to entirely corrupt my nature. So that's what we're getting at is when it comes to spiritual matters, what can I as a sinful being do? what can I contribute to the decision? What can I contribute to the action? Can I can I make decisions? Can I look at spiritually good and spiritually evil and say, oh, I think I'm going to choose good, or I think I'm going to choose evil. Can I do that? Is my will able to do that in and of itself, understanding that my will has been entirely corrupted by original sin?
0: And the answer here right? is no. no. Right. And (laughs) at all. Yeah. citing first Corinthians two. you know, again, I I like this. According to the word of God, we're we're going to just jump right into God's word here and let it speak for us. And it says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. It's very clear in Scripture. So.
2: So then this is what's offensive to Americans generally or those who have embraced the Western idea of freedom. Right. Liberty is is we often say, well, that's that's who I am. Right? I get to make my own decisions. And so right away, we're offended that the most important thing in our lives, our eternal reality of, of being whatever we're going to say, justified, saved, right with God. I have no role in that. I can't decide anything. I can't do anything. That's offensive. How dare you say that? So this is why this article like Pastor Real was saying is, is so pertinent to today's conversations. Cause when we talk to people about our faith, they are going to react like we would, if we were real honest with, with kind of this offensive idea
0: that, wait a minute, you're saying I don't play any role in this. So how would you respond then to, I, I've heard people, I think in good intention say this, you know, I want to believe in God, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, uh I struggle with it. Now, I think that this will get unravelled a little bit more—not unravelled, um, uh, laid out a little bit more uh, later on, and so forth. But, but if we're saying, well, that's not actually your choice, mm-hmm. there, you know, wh- mm-hmm. how would you respond to that? This is this is why we
2: confess what we call the efficacy of the word—that the word actually does what God promises. So, I when I talk to people about faith in Christ, I continue to point them away from themselves and to Christ. So if someone says, I want to believe in God, then I think that the correct response to that is let's spend more time in his word. Let's spend more time hearing from him and less time worried about what we want. And let's, let's hear what he has done to accomplish our salvation. Let's spend more time talking about his will for us. And when we say I want, but I'm not able, well, yeah, that's right. We're actually confessing what Scripture teaches us. So now the question is not your ability or inability. The question is, what has God done? And the answer to that is Jesus.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes the uh, image that has been given to me, and as with all images and metaphors, it can break down at some point and so forth. But, you know, it's like you're in a prison cell, right? And, uh, you know, the, I, I want to get out of this prison cell. Right, but you don't do any of the work to start, you know, mining a tunnel or you know, right. kind of right. making your way out of there and so forth. And, and you're just stuck in your prison cell. You're stuck in yourself, is what you're saying here. When when you uh, keep that focus on me and my will and so forth. And here, it's actually really helpful that we confess. Look, it's not up to your will, right. Because that means there's someone on the outside who's coming in to get you. Right. Uh, again, that'll be laid out more. I'm going to throw this next uh, one uh, that builds upon this to uh, pastor ill. So get ready as soon as I read it. this is paragraph three uh, affirmative statement. Number two, uh, that gets a little more offensive, as Dr. Kevin was just saying. Right. It says, likewise, we believe, teach and confess that the unregenerate, un, the unregenerate will of mankind is not only turned away from God, but also has become God's enemy. Oh, that's offensive language right there. So it only has an inclination and desire for that which is evil and contrary to God. As it is written in Genesis 8 verse 21, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Romans 8, 7 says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot just as the dead body cannot raise itself to bodily earthly life. So a person who by sin is spiritually dead cannot raise himself to spiritual life. For it is written in Ephesians two verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And second Corinthians three verse five says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. All right. See I mean that that's probably the most offensive thing right there in your face, because we, we've all face this, right? You say you are by nature an enemy of God, right? There's nothing good in you. Well, hang on a minute here, because I think I'm a pretty good person, right? So Pastor, I'll go ahead and break this one down for us.
1: The scripture passages that are here in the that are here in the formula, along with other scripture passages, including Romans five and Psalm five, talk about people who are sinners as people who are God's enemies. Uh, Romans 5 does this really, really clearly, saying that that you were an enemy of God, talking about this same state of of the unregenerate sinful person. And you're, you're right to say, we want to back away from that. This isn't just that, other people want to run away from that reality to say that I live I have lived in a reality where I am an enemy of God um, I've, I've been there it's not a comfortable place to be and as we continue to to grapple with being an enemy of God our our reaction is to try to soften it uh, this is where I'm going to say my own offensive and unpopular thing sometimes we hear people say well God loves, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Uh, To which I will say that that's not completely consistent with scripture. Uh, I appreciate the sentiment, but I would rather say this, that God hates the sin and the sinner, and God forgives the sin and the sinner. You can't divide the two. Uh, Because it talks about how um, at the just right time, God took on flesh to save sinners to save me to save the listener to save all and that is the promise that is given in scripture and there is no value in trying to make it more palatable or to try to back off of the the offense of our sin and our sinfulness in our sin we are god's enemy that's really really bad news it hits hard and it makes us uncomfortable and it's completely and totally biblical and we don't shy away from saying that because once we speak the law in its full severity your sin makes you an enemy of god we get to preach the gospel in its full sweetness that our lord jesus christ god himself took on flesh suffering dying, rising again for you to teach you to pray our father because you now share something in common with him, not because of what you did, but because completely and totally of what he did.
0: Yeah, I, I usually, um, you know, with the phrase you use there, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner and so forth. I, I again, also with you appreciate the sentiment that such a thing says, and, and it does in a little bit agree with scripture right you know while we were still sinners christ died for us clearly he does love the sinner the problem that i think we often face is that we don't understand that the way that he loves the sinner is that he wants to put the sinner to death and he does that in Christ, right? Uh, Christ suffers the full wrath of God. You, you, you cite Romans 5 there, right? And this, this is exactly what scripture confesses and why we have to, to get the scriptural mindset completely outside of ourselves. Because my completely corrupted sinful nature, as we covered in Article 1, right, cannot discern these things on my own, right? And so I'm just, you know, I'm stuck in my own head. And it's like, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but, well, no, there's no but. You are a sinner. Die. Right. Uh, And it's actually for your good. And it's the greatest love that Christ has for you. Dr. Kevin, you are furiously flipping through your uh, Bible there looking for something profound from Scripture to add to this. Right. Well, I just
2: that's the issue is that where are you going to turn Scripture that doesn't address this? I mean, I was just thinking through all the the Psalms and and the way the Old Testament presents this as thinking through John six, when Jesus says no one can come unless the father who sent me draws him. I mean, this is this really goes to the fundamental message of scripture is that it's not the action of man that results in salvation it's the action of God that results in salvation. And the, the reason that that's true is what this article is addressing. It's, it's not because man just isn't really that good at it. It's that we cannot do anything. As a matter of fact, when we do, Again, remember, this is the state before conversion. So when we act without the Holy Spirit, according to our sin, we are acting contrary to God and we can't do anything else. So there's no way for a sinner without the Holy Spirit to do anything pleasing in God's side. As a matter of fact, all we do is become more and more his enemy. So there's no way that person can all of a sudden decide to do something to be saved. You can't. So what What this really does is it ends up glorifying Christ. You know, when you think of 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and we're putting all of our hope, all of our faith, and all the glory on Christ alone. And then the question is, okay, how do we get what Christ accomplished? How does that come to us? And and that's going to be the rest of the of the way we, we work this out in in this these set of theses is that I don't go get it even. I mean, not only did Christ accomplish salvation for me, but but God is also going to be the one that delivers it to me. And and the question is, how is He going to do that?
0: All right. So our continuous question: Who is Christ, and what is He doing? He's drawing sinners to Himself. As a good place to take a break, please join us for more discussion on that right after this. Concord Matters with our cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians. This first episode of the new year, we have Dr. Kevin Armbrust, who is the Director of Editorial for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Pastor Peter Ill, who's the Pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. I'm the Pastor of Emmanuel and St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish in Southern Illinois. And we continue to push forward in this Article 2 of the Free Will uh do we have one well we've said no right i answered that um and uh, uh cited that with scripture but now we need to push forward and, and kind of get to the flesh of what's the real controversy going on here and so we're going to pick up with affirmative statement number three which is paragraph four in the um, uh, reader's edition of the book of concord that we use available from cph and this is uh Uh, I'm going to cover paragraphs four, five, and six, which is all affirmative statement number three. And then we're just really going to flush this out for the rest of the show. God, the Holy Spirit, however, does not bring about conversion without means. For this purpose, he uses the preaching and hearing of God's word as it is written in Romans 1 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Also, Romans 10 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is God's will that his word should be heard and that a person's ears should not be closed. Psalm 95 verse eight. With this word, the Holy Spirit is present and opens hearts so that people like Lydia in Acts 16:14 pay attention to it and are converted only through the Holy Spirit's grace and power, who alone does the work of converting a person. For without his grace and if he does not grant the increase. Sorry, I read that poorly. Let me go back here. For without his grace, and if he does not grant the increase, our willing and running, our planting, sowing and watering, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 7, are all nothing. As Christ says in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. With these brief words, the spirit denies free will its powers and ascribes everything to God's grace in order that no one may boast before God. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine, Second 2 Corinthians 12.5, and Jeremiah 9.23. Love the citations of scripture. So now we're saying you have no free will, right? Um, this, this indeed is not something a dead person can do is, is to bring themselves to salvation, right? We've covered those things. And now we're saying the Holy Spirit does the work and it gives all glory to God in doing that. Okay, but to me at least that presents a problem. Uh, Dr. Kevin, go ahead and break this down for us
2: so the the major problem is if we are, if we concede all that and say yes we can play no role in this the holy spirit is the only one that converts and god desires all men to be saved and he's in charge of doing the saving then the question is well then why doesn't why isn't everyone saved or is everyone saved and when we look at scripture it's clear that not everyone is saved and the question is why not and this article actually points us, oddly enough, away from that question back to what God is actually doing and has done in order to save. And that seems like it might be avoiding a question or avoiding a reality, but it's not. This is actually the proper way to address the question is is not to wrestle with questions that scriptures don't answer. We kind of have to look at that one and go, that's the question scripture doesn't answer. So we're not going to try to answer it in a way that scripture doesn't what we're going to do is confess what scripture does tell us is how is the holy spirit at work how is god bringing salvation to sinners and that's what these theses help us understand is to confess that the holy spirit works salvation for sinners through means not just kind of working in my heart or just kind of working in some kind of ephemeral or out there idea being zapped by the Holy Spirit or something like that. No, he works through means. So these means then are where we we can trust that the Holy Spirit is at work because he promises to be at work there.
0: So what's that means? Because I I might take that to mean. You know, well, he can work through the means of me, a really charismatic, awesome, exactly. you know, exciting guy. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and, and maybe he chooses not to work through the means of the, you know, you who's a little more boring that uses words like ephemeral and things right. like that. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But but what's the means? So put a little flesh on that. So that's funny. So the the means that's through an which inside is, joke. Yes.
2: The means through which the Holy Spirit works is the word and this is clear throughout scripture, is that if, if you just look at scripture this way, um, when God starts the whole book, he starts by speaking. And when we talk about the incarnation, John reminds us of that beginning of the speaking and then says, now this word is flesh, takes on flesh and dwells among us. And in, in this incarnation of the, the Word of God in flesh, we see the glory of God, and then we watch what that Word of God incarnate does, and we listen to what He says, and then we we read all of this in words that have been inspired by the Spirit to be given to the church, to be given to the world, to reveal God to us in Christ, and and then we go and we hear these words spoken by a pastor in absolution. We we baptize children with those words. We feed on the body and blood of Christ because of his word attached to the elements. And and what we see is all of a sudden it's like, it's the word. It's always been the word. This is the means by which the Holy Spirit gives us the things that Christ has accomplished to save us. He does it through the word. He doesn't do it. in. We don't trust in any other way than the means that he promised to work through. And so what we say as Lutherans is word and sacrament. But remember, don't pause. I, I kind of say, don't say word and sacrament. No, just run it together. Word and sacrament. Why? Because it's one thing. It's one
0: promise from God. Sacrament's another say, way of saying word. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And and it brings us back to the question that I asked in the first half of the show, right, about the person who says, you know, well, I want to believe in God right well the reality is you're in a prison right and mm-hmm. so let's let's get back into the word and I like how you responded to that in the first half of the show you know this, this is the appointed means by which God works right and sometimes I think that that is said is you know, you know I want to believe in God but your worship service isn't really fitting the way that I want it right you know I want it a little more exciting or you know I want a pastor who really is more engaging so that's kind of my you know throwing out there of you know well it can be the means of a really exciting charismatic pastor or something like that right um, but the reality is is what what is the appointed means by which the Holy Spirit has confined himself that he, you can be sure he is there and working and that is by the word right and sometimes I'm amazed at how that you know just as a pastor and I'm sure Pastor Hill could join me in this as well I, I, I've i not met a pastor that hasn't you know sometimes when I think you know wow I just really was not clear there I really wasn't helpful you know my mind was in a different place and so forth people are like wow you know God's word just really, really hit me, you know, and it's like, well, praise be to God that he did his work through his work. And then sometimes when I work really intentionally to make sure that I'm super exciting, especially in my sermon or things like that, you know, and and they're like, wow, that sermon just really did nothing for me. it's like, yeah, because I probably put a little too much emphasis on myself as the means instead of God's word, which will do its work. Right. It doesn't mean that we just throw, you know, all these other things out, but the focus must always be there on the word
1: the other thing i I do kind of want to be careful about is within our american context and right now the way that we use the phrase the word and the word of god a lot of people hear that and think the bible um that's not wrong but it's also not fully right um and so when we say the word when we're gathered together here concording let's make sure that we're clear that we're saying the word is Christ. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? The Word is Christ, who is God, who was with God in the beginning, and through whom all things are made. And so uh, the preaching of the Word, the reading of Scripture uh the reception of baptism and the lord's supper these things are all a reception of jesus christ himself who is the word and so it's not when when you hear it's by the ministry of the word don't think uh exclusively go read my bible more yes you should do that but it is ultimately be with jesus more be in the places where jesus has promised to be not simply reading the Bible more, not simply going to church more, but being fully where Jesus has promised to be.
0: So what's the value then of knowing that God works through his appointed means of the word?
1: Ooh, ooh. Uh, This is uh, for me a personal question. When I have days that, that I say, I know that this is the case. I know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But I don't believe it. I don't feel it. It, it doesn't work itself up in me. Um, and I get ho-hum about the gospel. Uh, hopefully nobody else understands what it is to be ho-hum about the gospel because it's a terrifying place to be. But when I find myself there, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies me with the whole church and takes me to a pastor who says, your sins are forgiven. If you feel forgiven or not, I don't care because God's word has said so through the office of a called pastor. Uh, Here, receive Jesus' body and blood. Do you feel more forgiven now? It doesn't matter, because here is Christ's promise for you. Read scripture. Hear scripture taught and proclaimed for you. There, what scripture says is true if you feel it, if you like it, or not. And it becomes a, a, a truly personal changing thing when god's word comes and works on you and you can say yeah i don't feel it but if you say that then at a certain point you're telling god that even though he says his word works you don't think so you're calling god a liar um and and when you when you put it to that fine point uh, are you going to say that God's wrong about what his word does? Or are you going to say that your feelings don't line up with what God's word says? Uh, and thankfully, I can say God's word does exactly what he says it's going to do. Uh, and my feelings, they'll they'll get figured out when Jesus comes back. And that's fine. I can deal with that.
0: So does this relate then back into the article at hand here of the free will? You're, you're talking about feelings and so forth like that. You know, what I'm hearing in that is... You know to put the technical language of what we're working with in the article here is it, it it's that matter of the free will right you know the I I used to get jealous in high school and so forth of uh, some of my uh, American evangelical broad term, I know, but uh, that's just what I'll call them. Um, You know, your Baptist friends and so forth would fit into this camp as well, which most American evangelicalism is just like Baptist. But anyway, uh, side tangent. uh, But, uh, you know, I used to get jealous of them because they had this whole, you know, uh, come to Jesus faith moment and experience and things like that. And they, they could point to definitive things where they could really tell that Jesus was real in their life and where they had made their decision for Christ and things like that. And I used to kind of get jealous of that. And I really wrestled with that for a long time because I was like, what do I have? I have, I was baptized as an infant and I don't really remember it happening, right? Right. And, and just, you know, kind of growing up in the church and, you know, yeah, this this word was washing over me all the time and so forth, but I couldn't point to one specific time where I said, yeah, that's where I came to faith in Christ. And I was kind of jealous of that, um, which I think is an issue of this this free will thing because I was looking for in my feelings, I was looking for in that experience and so forth of when I could say that I came to faith in Christ. And what we're confessing as Lutherans is get over yourself. It's not about you, right? It's God at work through his word, which is, is is ongoing, right? Again and again, Sunday to Sunday, week through week, right? Dr. Kevin. I think when we
2: look at the Ten Commandments, this is really the structure of how we should read the Ten Commandments. And, and it sounds weird when we're talking about conversion and gospel-y stuff to t- point to the law. But But if you look at Exodus 20, it starts not with a word of law, but a word of grace. I am the Lord your God who called you out of Egypt, right? I am the God who saves you. That's why you should have no other gods before me, because I'm the God who saves you. And what what happens in this article is we're saying, that's nice, but I need to have a role in all of this. We can say, yeah, God, you can save me in some ways, but I want my will to play a role in this. And when God says, no, it's all up to me, then we say, well, it's you then making me feel a certain way that'll lead me to act a certain way that'll lead me to salvation. And he goes, no, no, no. It's not even that. It's simply me working through my word. That's how the Holy Spirit will bring faith, right? Faith comes through hearing. It just does. And, and it's the word of Christ that we hear. So what happens is this is really an issue I, I, of idolatry. I want my will to be the one that actually in the end matters, When it comes to salvation, the real contingency is on me deciding or me working or me doing. And God refuses, he refuses to leave our salvation up to us because he knows if it's up to us, it'll never happen. So he comes in as the gracious God and says, no, it's not about you. It's not about your will. That's entirely corrupted. You're dead in your sins. You can't do anything, which is good news because what that means is God will handle all of it. And he does it through his word. So like Pastor Ill said, when I wake up in the morning and I think, this is all crazy. This is all made up. Well, guess what? His word comes to me again that day through a, through a brother in Christ, a pastor who speaks to me, through somebody who might encourage me to, to open the scriptures or remind me what scripture says. That no, no, it's not something I made up in my head or some other human. It's actually given to us from outside of us in something that can never change for all of eternity. The word of God endures forever. All people are like grass. The the grass, you know, fades and flowers fade or whatever. But the word of
0: our God remains forever. And that's the word that saves the grass withers by the way according to isaiah 40 but uh right. the flowers fade flowers yes fades, you're right i, I, I want to that before i get you know we always kind of have this banter on our show and i didn't feel like we had enough of it <laughs> today so that's why i had to throw that in there but uh I, I like what you brought in here with connecting the ten commandments with the people of israel because that is the immediate context right and and i love how god in his wonderful wisdom connects those things together right because this this then answers also again that question of what what is the value then of knowing that god works through this appointed means because what do the people of israel do right you know god saves them he pulls them out of slavery in egypt they've been lavishing their right you know and and they're like oh we just want to get out of here we want to get to our own land and and be our own people and not be suffering under this egyptian empire corruption and everything else right and and they they get out there at the Red Sea, and they're like, "Oh, maybe we should go back." Right? Yeah, and then they're in the wilderness, and ugh, we're starving. You know, we had more food back in Egypt, and it's, and it's God's like, "Are you crazy? Look at what your will is doing to you!" Right? You want to go back to what you couldn't wait to get out of? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is God's graciousness that He works because our own will is so corrupted that we have such a narrow view. Of what's actually going on, right? You know, our will with you know, like you. you and St. Paul picks up on this, yes. right? Especially all yes. the time, he's like, you know, would you willingly go back into the slavery of sin? Right?
2: See, this is Romans six, right? It's it's the same problem. You've been baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Why would you choose to sin again? That's his whole point. You say what? Now that we're saved by grace, we can sin more so God's grace can abound. And he goes, "That are you out of your mind? You've been baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ so that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ, and you would now choose sin? Why would you go back to Egypt? Why would you go back? Why would you look God, the eternal God, in the face and say, I would rather have death than you? That doesn't make any sense. And yet that's what we do, and that's why... When we talk about the the human age being entirely corrupted by original sin, we can't do anything to please God or move toward God. All we do is run away from him. All we do is evil and become his enemy. And we need God to be 100% responsible for our salvation. And because we're human, we're always looking around trying to figure out if I can actually trust in that or not. He gives us the word from outside of us, right? He doesn't say, look inside. He says, look Look to my word, listen to my word, trust in Christ as the one who accomplishes salvation, hear the word of God spoken, receive it in the Lord's Supper. This is something that has been done for you and you don't affect it. It affects you.
0: It took me forever to realize and once I did, it was just it opened up the book of Romans to me. That essentially what St. Paul is doing in writing the book of Romans is retelling the story of the Exodus all over again. And when once someone made that connection for me, I can't even remember when it was. Right? Once someone made that connection for me is it, exactly like you want to go back to Egypt. That's yeah. essentially what he's saying in Romans six. You know, and and it's it's exactly spot on. Um, okay, so now now we. We're still focusing in on this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this, that's the text, right? Mm-hmm. So the question comes up. Okay, so then what role does my will play? What do I do? Nothing. Well, that's offensive. Yes. You have just offended me.
2: Great. Good. We're, we're going the right direction now. Because what we want to do is we want to let the Holy Spirit work through the word to change our heart, to repent. To actually change our minds and change our hearts to from the focus on self to the focus on Christ. Right. And we hear this again, this is this is easily quoted from Hebrews chapter two. Um, let us fix our I mean chapter twelve, verse two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right, the author and perfecter, the beginning and the end, the one who does it all. Let's focus on him, not on ourselves. Because when we focus on ourselves, we have sin that so easily entangles us, and we're all messed up in, in our sin, and we're, and we're running towards ourselves. But what happens is the Holy Spirit wants to bring us, and wants is, is a willful word. His desire is to bring us into life, not death. But our sinful nature is always saying, no, pursue death, it's better. And that's the weird thing, is we actually believe our sinful nature teaching us that death is better than life. And so we're we're always trying to interject our will in this and say, well, I want to play a role in this. And and what the scriptures teach us is, well, whenever your will gets its way, it leads to death. So what the Spirit does to the Word is it always teaches us to trust in life. And life is found in the one who conquers death by his dying and rising. And this is why in First Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ is not raised and our faith is futile, we are still in our sins. But that's not the case because since Christ has been raised, we are now in his resurrection. See, so that's not, we don't decide to raise ourselves from the dead. You can't do that. If you're dead, you're dead, right? As a matter of fact, we're not just dead. We're dead and we're running toward death even more. We're running away from life. So the spirit actually turns us and says, you are now in Christ. You're alive. That's not anything you did. It's simply given to you. And and we ask here, well how does he give it to us and the answer is in his word right and as pastor said that that is the word made flesh and that is the word that reveals the word made flesh to us in the holy scriptures
0: i like uh how how we we've come back to this issue again it's kind of the uh uh you know almost annoying thing that the that this article does is i keep wanting to ask this question about what role i play in this right which is kind of the controversy right and and it just keeps coming back and it's like it's god yeah it's god it's just it's god, god. he's working through his word yep. this 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 is who christ is and what he's doing this is who god is and what he's doing right he's at work through his word get out of yourself right? Um, let the word wash over you and work. And and any of these questions that come up, I mean, now it'll come up later in the formula of Concord of, you know, after the heart has been, um, uh, or you know, after one has been regenerated and so forth, you know, the role of good works and all of those sorts of things, you know, we're going to wrestle with some of how that but, but there, it's still amazing. It's the Word doing the work the whole time, right? Yep. Um, uh, we participate the weekly, you know, it'll, it'll argue later on in the Formula of Concord. But the, but the reality here is, is that the, the article that we're wrestling with here, we, we keep raising these questions and keep raising these objections and wanting to say, as Adam and Eve said in the Garden of Eden, well, I've got to play a role in this somehow. Nope, see, that's actually your problem. Let the Holy Spirit do His work through the Word.
1: Exactly. It, this whole article is really uh, just a longer telling of the way that Luther talks in the small catechism. When uh, we reflect on the work of the Holy Spirit and he says, what does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has Called me by the gospel, enlightened me, sanctified me, and keeps me in the one true faith, and in the church. And this article simply says, right. When you learned the catechism, this is what you this is what you learn to confess alongside Scripture, because this is how Scripture talks in Ephesians, in Hebrews, in Romans, in the Psalms, in Exodus, uh, all throughout. And you need to continually be retaught this because you want to run back to being an idolater you want to run back to being a control freak you want to run back to being focused and fixated on yourself don't do that And you can't even make yourself a wonderful little promise that says, well, if I repent better, if I do better, if I make enough promises to Jesus, if I uh, pray this prayer or do this action or any of these, these things that I want to do because I can control them. No. All that there is, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes with that again and again. He is the one who is in control. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he is the one who makes disciples, not us. And it is his work to make disciples. He does that through the work of his church as he puts his name on people, baptizing, teaching, and bringing them deeper and deeper into himself because he is the word of God.
2: That sounds like a lot of law, doesn't it? We can't. We can't. Only God. We can't. He's the one doing all this. That sounds like a lot of law, but how is that gospel? How is that good news?
1: It's good news because on the days when, well, on every day when we can't do it, Jesus says, "It's not that you have to. It has been done." Everything you, everything that any sinner touches, uh, doesn't turn to gold. Uh, it turns to sin. And Jesus says, everything I touch turns to righteousness and turns to purity. And so our Lord Jesus has come and has touched his people and has turned them to purity, to righteousness, to holiness, to to people who are just and faithful, because Jesus has done it. It's not about us at all. And, And that does sound like a lot of law. But Jesus says, I am the gospel, and I bring myself to you.
2: And so, what happens is, I mean, this just read the last of paragraph six, which is part of, of the third positive statement, right? So, Jesus says, or Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. With these brief words, the Spirit denies free will its powers and ascribes everything to God's grace. I mean, that's this is why we sing the hymn of praise. We receive forgiveness for our sins, and we're just amazed. It, thank you. I didn't deserve this. I I came as a, a sinner who has no excuse for how evil I am. And yet, it's God's grace.
0: Because of the work of Christ, God forgives. And that's great. That's Dr. Kevin Armbrust, who's the director of editorial for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, along with Pastor Peter Ill, who's a pastor of Trinity of Milstadt, And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. We thank you for convening for Concord with us today. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for us the next time we convene for Concord, you can reach us at 314-996-1542, email KFUO at KFUO.org or find us on social media at KFUO Radio. Thanks for stopping by today. And until next time, keep convening. Fessing Church.